1: looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: We've titled this message, What's Involved in Being Changed? And I put that in there because we're at a wonderful part of our study of the book of Philippians. Paul dearly loved his Dear faith family, there in Philippi, and he came to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, and he addressed that very issue. What is involved in being changed? So, let me pose a question to you Is there anything in your life that you're sensing that needs to be changed? Now, think about it Is there anything in your life that you sense needs to be changed? And if I had you raise your hand, the proper answer should be. We all would raise our hand and says, I imagine there would be some things in our life that need to be addressed a little bit differently because you see that's what growth is all about. Every day we're growing and as we grow things begin to change in our life. As you know, last week Carol and I had the opportunity to kind of get away for a week just to be by ourselves. Often when we would go on a vacation, I would bundle that vacation with writing, speaking, checking my emails, still carrying on ministry but in a little bit more relaxed environment. But this particular vacation, Carol said, how about if we try to take one week and don't take your laptop with you, don't accept any speaking engagements, don't even check your email, do you think you can do that? And I said, I think we could do that. And I says, I'll try to do that. I'll leave my laptop home. I will bring my flash drive, though. And so I put that in my pocket, and away we went. Well, I have to tell you that it was the most... spiritually reviving vacation that I think we could have ever had because I didn't have to think about speaking the next day or I didn't have to think about where am I going to write something and how I can connect to the Internet to do my emails. So during that time, Carol and I had an opportunity to really reflect on who we are as a couple, who we are before the Lord and why we're even here at this church and then where we're going to go with our life in the future and to sense really where God was having us to be. And it was exciting because um, as we went deeper into all of this, we were sensing God's presence in our life. We talked about issues that we wanted to work on better. We needed to work on areas of a kinder, gentler spirit. Sometimes we over-manage ministries and people, and we didn't want to do that. And more than ever, we sense that God has called us to Hawaii, that God has called us to you people and those of you that would receive our ministry. And so we were just convinced this is where God should have us to be. So on our way back when we came home, we then reflected on that week. And what we can tell you is that according to Philippians two, twelve, and 13, that God was bringing about a change in our life. Everybody needs to change. And if any of you that might be sitting out here thinking, well, you know, I'm sure I've got some area, but you know, I can't think of really any. Well, maybe what you could do is to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I really love you, and I really do want to change. I want my life to be different. You know, there's even a person in the Bible who never felt like he arrived. His name was Paul. And Paul, in the same letter that he wrote to the Philippian people and telling them what they need to do to change, he himself said, I haven't arrived yet, implying that I too need to change and become more and more like the Lord. So change is inevitable in our lives if we want to be. So as I speak to those of you who are are probably outside the faith, you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you know something about Christianity, it's quite possible that you came today because you're sensing something going on in your circumstances that you know is getting your attention. We might call it an attention getter. Something that you sense you need to do to make your life a little bit different. And I'm going to tell you where you can find that today and how your life can be changed for the better. There are others of you that are growing in your walk with the Lord, and you're saying, I want things to change, but I don't know how to make that happen. What do I do to get those things to change? In today's message, you're going to learn how that's going to happen. And then for those of us that have been saved for many decades, I'd like for us to just for a moment play like a little growing child and say, Lord, I too want to change. I don't want to be the same old same old any longer. I'm ready to take on a new step forward. Now, let me quickly say, that doesn't necessarily mean you've got to do more work, 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 work. But it does mean that you're saying there are areas in my life that I don't want to get complacent in, that I want to grow and become better in. And so what I'd like to do is to share with you that when Paul wrote to the people at Philippi, he wrote to those who were outside the faith, new Christians, young and old, and mature Christians, and he said the same thing. So this message really could be for all of us that are here today and those that might be listening on the radio, because I really want to add value to your life. Well, let me take you back in time when I was newly saved. I would go to meetings very similar to these meetings here. And sometimes they would have someone share what is known as a testimony. They were testifying about their faith and how they came to know the Lord. And then soon what happened in their life. And some of those folks would get up there and they'd say, man, when I trusted Christ, my life completely changed. It was complete like a night and day change. And I looked at my life and I began to say to myself, well, my life has changed a little bit. There's some things I'm not doing now, but there are other things that, you know, my life hasn't had that dramatic change as that person. Maybe I'm not saved. And so I began then to look at my life, that if things were changing in my life, that became the, uh, the, the, the water point of where I got saved or if I got saved. And I've learned since then that that's not the case. There are others that teach it this way, that if you want your life to change... They say, let go, let God. In other words, if you want your life changed, you just let the Lord do it in His timing, in His way. He'll make that change come about. We call that a passive change. It's a passive way that your life will take on new meaning. Then there's the other way. You can go to some churches, and as you go to church or Bible studies, they'll give you a whole list of things in your life that they say needs to get changed. Get this out of your life. Put this in your life. Do this. Start this. Stop that. And they give you a lot of formula. And we might call that an active change in your life. Now, some of you might fit that pretty good. You like to see that little list out there because that keeps you in the box and you can see how you're going. Others like to say, don't put me in a box. I just want God to take care of my life. And if he wants a change, that's up to him to make it happen. Now, both of those could sound pretty good. But when you run those two ideas through the grid of scripture, they really don't hold water. Actually, you're going to see that it's the blending of the two, that there is that passive dependence upon the Lord, but there is also the active part where we do make choices. And we put that together. We're going to coin a new phrase here. We come out what is known as divine synergy. That's where that both of those coming together actually can make us a better person. And God speaks to that. In fact, that's how God does business. He has his part and he tells us how we need to rely on him. And then he gives it back to us and he tells us what we should do. Now let me just read to you one little passage. And that's found in the Old Testament so that you know that this is his style of changing lives and doing things for people. If I took you back to the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 14, it talks about how that the children of Israel have just fled Egypt. They are now getting ready to go through the Red Sea. And as they do that, they're faced with the Red Sea that's in front of them that they can't get through and the marching Egyptian army heading to them from the other side. And they're kind of sandwiched in between. And so they're paralyzed. They're saying, I want to get to that promised land. I want to get away from the Egyptians, but I don't know how to do this. And so they're stopped dead in their tracks. And here's what the Lord says to them. Through Moses, he says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish Today, for you. So in other words, he says, hey, just calm down. Calm down. Stand still. And you watch. God is going to do a great work. Well, as you read further in the story, you know what he did. He parted the Red Sea. But let me show you what else it says in verse 14. It says, the Lord will fight for you and shall hold your peace. And says, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to, here's the phrase, go forward. So there's the balance. You stand still and let God do his work, which is I'll part the sea. I'll make a way for you. And then our part is to do our part, which is to walk forward, to follow him in obedience. So we put those two together. If they went forward before God did his work, they wouldn't have seen God did their work. They would have been frustrated as they tried to swim through that Red Sea and wouldn't have made it. On the other hand, if God parted the Red Sea, but they never moved forward, they would have been attacked by the Egyptian army and they wouldn't have had victory. And so the two of them are working together in synergy. Now, that same concept of how God works to bring about change and to bring us to our next level of his purpose in our life is also found in 1 Corinthians 15. You might want to flip there. 1 Corinthians 15, in just one verse alone, verse 10, Paul says it again this way. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. So let's talk about grace for a moment. Grace is something, obviously, that we don't deserve. But it's also the power to do what we are told to do or what we're expected to do. So, in other words, God gives me the grace or the ability to do what he wants me to do. So, I lean on him for the grace that he's given to me. So, whatever he asks me to do, tells me to do, he gives me abundant power to do it. Same verse. It goes on to say, we don't just wait on God's grace. He gives us grace. And then it says... With that grace, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So he says, God gave me the grace, but I labored to the point of weariness. I did my part, but I did it according to his grace. So if you wanted to get the underlying principle of this message today, it is that God does his part, we do our part, and we do it his way, and then we have victory. Now, let's take that back to the verse that we're studying. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Would you read it together with me out loud? It's found at the very top of your little outline that you have there. And so let's read it all together out loud. Here's what you read. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Well, let me make something real clear because there are some people that will read this passage and they will use this passage to tell you that in order to go to heaven, you have to do good works. See, it says here, work out your own salvation. And so they'll hammer that into you. You've got to do things. And such things would be religious issues, such as keeping the commandments or being water baptized. Or maybe some social issues like giving money or doing good deeds in the community. But whatever it is, you've got to work out your salvation and do it with fear and trembling so that you then can go to heaven. Now, that might sound very good because they have had this uh, value system that it's all by works. But when you take that thinking and you run it through scripture, it doesn't hold water. Old Testament and New Testament says going to heaven is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Now let me quote a very familiar verse with all of you. It goes like this. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that going to heaven is a gift of God, not of works. So if it says it's not of works in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and here it says work out your own salvation, either we have a contradiction or one means one thing and the other means another thing. And that's really what it is. So it says you're saved by grace without works, without the deeds of the law, nothing you do yourself, so you can't brag about all the good deeds you did when you get to heaven. So it's not by works that gets you into heaven, which now means since this passage cannot contradict that other passage, it cannot mean work out your salvation to go to heaven. So let me see if I can put it into some common terms that we might understand. All right, here's one. When a bodybuilder works out his body, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you have seen some of these big bodybuilders? You know, they kind of, well, they look a little bit like me. You know what I mean? No, but they're big, strong guys. When they do that, they don't work for their body. God gave them their body through their mom and dad and how they had life and all that biological stuff that came together. They were given a body. But now they're to work out that body. If they work out that body, they'll become stronger. Those of you that have been farmers, maybe you've got a garden. You don't work for your garden. You work out in your garden to produce fruit. Some of you young people, when you have a video game, you don't work for your game. You already have your game, but you use the technology to play that game, to work out that game to victory. So you have eternal life by faith. You don't work to get it. God gave it to you as a gift. You receive it by faith alone. But once you have it now, you're to work it out, which now tells us what we should do. Now, follow along, if you will, up at that outline, the top with the verse, because I want you to circle some words in there, if you will, for me for just a moment. Here it says, work out your own salvation. Would you circle the, the words your own? That's implying that that salvation is something you already have. It's not something that you earn to get. It's not something that you get and lose and have to get back again. It is yours and God keeps it. For you. It's your own salvation. That's your part. Now let me pause for a moment and let's look at that verse again. You've circled where it says, Work out your own salvation. Your own salvation. This is telling me that spiritual growth depends upon me. Now let me stop and talk about that for a moment. Here the Bible says, Work out your own salvation. First of all, that does not mean that I can work out my husband's salvation or my wife's salvation. I can't work out my kids' salvation. I can't work out my parents' salvation. I can't work out my friends' salvation, which means that we might be able to work with our families and with people in our life and the ones that we're discipling to help them to grow, but we can't make them grow. Some of us are working so hard at trying to make another person grow that we're actually doing more damage to their spiritual development. Because they need to work out their own salvation. You can be the catalytic agent. You can provide the environment for them. You can provide all that's necessary to nurture. But in order for them to grow, that's a choice they must make. So if there's any real active parts you might be able to play in them other than creating that environment, is you bathe them with a great deal of prayer. That's what Paul did. So he's now writing to these people and he says, work out your own salvation. I can't do it for you. This is something you have to do. That's your part. It depends on you to get this job done. So here's what I say to you in love. I really love you. We can provide good Bible preaching. We can have all the different small group studies. We can have discipleship groups. But when the dust settles on the end of a busy day and you click the light off next to the edge of your bed and your pillow, your head is on your pillow, at that moment, the choice of whether you grow spiritually is not dependent upon your pastor, a Bible teacher. It's not dependent upon the Iwana leaders for your kids. It's something that you choose to do yourself. Now go back to the verse, all right? It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Notice how some people will do something that'll look like growth because the person they're trying to impress or to get their approval is in their presence, and so they do it. Well, these people were so spiritually mature, they developed so much now, they obeyed not only in Paul's presence, but it says, but now much more in my absence. So they were doing it before, and he says, now you did a good job when I was with you, when I was here helping you, but now that I'm away from you, so much more now work out your own salvation. So I think that's kind of a key point in discipleship, that while you'll be spending time with the people you're working with, while you are mentoring your children, there is a time that you have to say, kids, when we're not around, when you're not with us, this is a time for you to step up, man up, boy up, girl up, woman up, and take on that spiritual development yourself. So it does depend on you. We can help you with it, but that's something that... Happens to you. So if you want to get better, that's between you and your own choice. Then it says to do this with fear and trembling. Some scholars say that it should be written this way it should say, with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation. Now, here's what I'd like to say about that. If that's true with what the scholars are saying, then my application to that, we could talk about what it means by fear, what it means by trembling, but in reality, it boils down to this. That the issue of us growing spiritually, the issue of us changing our lives for the better is so serious that it brings about an awareness in our life. That's almost like a fear and tremor, almost like we are so concerned about this thing that it consumes our mind. It's so important to us. So we got to get this done. All right. Let's use it another way. How many of you um, have ever? Um, oh, I'll, I'll use this illustration. There was one time I was late for a plane when I was traveling. And as I was late for a plane, it was so serious that I had to get to the airport at a certain time to make that plane that it was like fear and trembling with me. I was nervous about this. I had to really make sure this thing happened because I had to get on that plane. Well, that emotion of making sure that I get to what I want to do, that invoked fear and trembling in my life. Now, all of you probably went through the same thing, a deadline, something you wanted to get done. Was it so serious that you were so consumed by it that you wanted to get there? That's what this is saying, that we are so concerned, are we really growing? Are we doing our part and are we letting God do his part that we are so passionate about our growing that it almost consumes us? Or have we just gone into our Christian life as, well, at least I'm not going to hell and I do my church thing and I read my Bible once in a while and I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I might not be as good as so-and-so, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And we now have just allowed ourselves to think spiritual growth is nothing more than the more Bible I know, the more spiritual I am. And that's not necessarily the case. But that we're so concerned about it, it's like a fear and trembling dynamic about it. All right. So with that in mind, God now energizes our will. He now works in us to do this. So what is God's part in changing me? So let's answer question number one in your outline. What is God's part in changing me? What I'm going to try to do at this point is I'd like to give you three tools of what's necessary for us to have God change us. There are three tools that he uses in our life to change us. And I like to think about that. Now, for a moment here, if you could look at these fans that are up here on the wall, can you see them? I know it's a little warm in here, but let's look at those fans for a moment. Let's say one of them was broken, and we need to replace that fan, all right? Now, some of us could look at that fan up there, and we could say, wow, that fan is broken. We need to get that fan fixed. I'm awfully hot right here. It's stuffy in here. I've got to get it fixed. Now, thinking about getting it fixed, will that get it fixed, yes or no? We can be passionate about that fan being fixed. We could talk about that fan needs to be fixed, but it's not going to get done. So now we need to have some tools to get that fan fixed. First thing we need to have is a ladder. So we have to bring up the ladder here. So we put the ladder here. I have a ladder. That's no good unless I climb on the ladder, but I have a ladder. Let's say I get the ladder. I climb up the ladder. Does that mean that the fan is fixed? You know it's not. So now I get the ladder. I put it up against the fan over here. I climb up the ladder, and now I've got a broken fan. I've got a ladder, and I'm next to the fan, but I also need some other things, maybe a screwdriver, maybe a wrench. I've got to somehow take it down. I'm saying that now to say this. If you want to get changed, God says, I will change you. But I'm going to use certain tools. And there are 3 tools that I choose to use to bring about a change in your life. So if you want to know what are those tools so you can lean into those tools, those tools will help your life to be better in exactly what you want. Here's tool number 1. Tool number 1, he uses the Bible to do that. He uses the Bible to do that. See, God's interest in us is not for us to just uh, be happy. He wants us to be holy. And to do that, he uses the Bible. Look at 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. And here's the phrase so that the man of God, or you could say, so that the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Before you see the word that, that the man of God, just put in your little margin there the word so, so that. The word of God is given. So that your life will change, so that the person of God may be complete, which would mean mature and equipped to every good work. So there's two things going on in this. He says, all right, I want to change you And two ways. I want to change you is this. First of all, I want you to grow in your faith. No matter how long you've been saved, I want you to grow up. I want you to be mature. So he says, I'm going to use the word of God to do that. But in order for you to be mature, it's not so that you'll be mature, period. It's so that you'll be mature and prepared for every good deed that you have to do. So for you to do good deeds, you have to be mature. Mature people do good deeds. What's the tool that I'm going to use to change you to become that person who's mature and doing good deeds? He says, I'm going to use the word of God. Now, there may be supplemental writings, good Christian books out there, great writers, great teachers... But it'll all boil down to the power is in the word of God here. And we're going to talk more about our part with the word. But I want you to know that God says, I will give you the word. Here's a question for you. How many of you have in your possession, not this morning, but maybe in your home, how many of you have at least one Bible? Would you raise your hand? All right. How many have two Bibles? Would you raise your hand? How many have three Bibles? Would you raise your hand? All right. Put up as many fingers as you think you have Bibles. Would you raise your hand? All right. I see one person, one hand, other hand. He took his shoes off. He's got his feet up. No, I'm joking on that part. But we have many Bibles. Now, that's good. But I want you to know that would be the number one tool that God is going to use to change you. So, if you have that tool and we don't go to that tool, then that tool sits uselessly in a toolbox. It could be a bookshelf. And watch this now. It could even be uselessly sitting in our brain, but we choose not to think about it to activate that tool. But again, it all boils down to the Bible. So let me just go off on a mini tangent. I encourage you all to read good books about the Bible. There are many out there. Many of you are in a small group Bible study and you're following some good teachings that are there. And I do not want to minimize nor marginalize that. By far, it's better to do that than to sit around and read a lot of superfluous stuff that will be good and interesting and maybe even informative but won't be transforming. On the other hand, Let me encourage you, especially you new believers, that with the limited amount of time that you have, I strongly urge you that you would make knowing the Bible for the purpose of applying it for the glory of God, your highest time priority that you have in your life. The word of God and its knowledge of it and application is what's going to change you. Apart from that, you will not change your life. You might have some better days than other days. Things might go better for one week than another week. You might make some good intentions about changing. But to know that you change it accurately, to partner with God, it's got to come from His Word. Because it's only through His Word that God will use to help mature you and equip you so you can change and be the person you want. All right, the second part that God changes us in, the second tool, is He uses the Holy Spirit. And this is very important. He uses the Holy Spirit to do it. Here's what it says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and that if is in the text that says if and he does dwell in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And then you can underline this phrase, everyone, through his spirit who dwells in you. So he says, I've given you the word. I protected it through the centuries so that you have it accurate. I've translated in a language that you could understand it so that you have it verbal plenary. And he says, now I've given you the Spirit so that you can have a supernatural force to help you to understand the supernatural book so you can apply it for a supernatural God. So I've given you the Holy Spirit to do this. So you have the Spirit that's within you. So you have all the power that's necessary to make it happen. All right, then C. He uses circumstances. The third that he uses would be circumstances. And there'll be times that God will say, all right, I've given the Word of God, I've given you the Spirit, and He says, but for you to take those two great truths and make them a reality in your life, I have to begin to kind of uh, mess up your life a little bit to cause you to realize that...